Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. This morning we're going to jump right in. Uh, our text this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, and we will begin reading from the 10th chapter, and we will begin with verse 17. But at the beginning of, of Mark chapter 10, just to give you some context, Jesus, he arrives in Judea, opposite the Jordan, and the multitudes, they followed him as they have been doing, so Jesus continues to teach them as he has been doing. And the Pharisees come to him and they ask him a question at the beginning of Mark 10, and they ask him, you know, when can, you know, or how can, you know, can a man divorce his wife, you know, and then Jesus kind of addresses that and, and deals with that topic. And then right after that, um, a group of little children come to Jesus and Jesus blesses the little children. Then they brought the little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. So now we get to, to Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. And Jesus has finished blessing the little children. He's finished uh, speaking to um, the, the crowds. And then this happens. It's another encounter. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away. Sorrowful, for he had great possessions. While it is true that no amount of, of works can get us into heaven or ensure our salvation, I believe that it is also true that an unhealthy relationship with things, with, with stuff, with, with riches, can keep us or hinder us from the kingdom of heaven. 
While it's true that no amount of works can get us into heaven, that nothing that we do can get us into heaven, I also believe that it's true that there are things in this world, in this life, that can keep us from getting in. That can be a hindrance from getting in. An unhealthy, unbalanced relationship with stuff can stop us from advancing into the kingdom of God. I want to show you guys a, a real quick video how to, how to catch a monkey. So we're going to play that on the screen. There's a well-known trap used by hunters to catch monkeys. What they do is they take a coconut, they cut a hole inside the coconut, empty it out, they make the hole just big enough so that the open hand of the monkey can fit in the hole, but the fist cannot. They put some kind of bait, like fruit, inside the coconut to lure the monkey in. They tie the coconut to a tree and then they wait. What they found is that monkeys are greedy. The monkey sticks his little hand inside the coconut to try to pull the fruit out, but can't get it out. And when the hunter approaches, they try even harder to try to pull the fruit out, but they can't do it. And then the monkey gets captured. All that monkey had to do was open his hand, let go of the fruit, and it would have been free. But his greed blinds him. His attachment to the prize is so strong that he sacrifices his life for it. Tch, silly monkeys, right? Mm, maybe not. What is your coconut? What are you holding on to that is trapping you? And if you could just let go, you would be free. Could it be money? Could it be your ideas about happiness that you're holding tightly to? And if only you just let go, then you could truly experience happiness. Could it be your anger? If you forgave that person and let go of your judgment, then you could be free. Or maybe you have an idea in your mind of what your perfect partner looks, acts, and smells like, and that is trapping you. And if you could just let go of the idea, then you would be free to see what might be right under your nose. No matter what the attachment is, isn't it time to let go? Do not sacrifice your happiness, your peace, your life for man's version of a coconut, unless you just like being a monkey. Peace. All right, now I'm about to eat this. <laughs> so, so that, that example uh, right there um, hit me. And the coconut will be symbolic, or what's the bait in the coconut today will be symbolic of money, wealth, riches. Because it's something that we, that we hold on to so tight. And I think, I think everyone in this room can identify. But it's something that, that, that people, um, if not you, people that you know, hold on to really, really tight. And they will lose everything in the process. They're, they're not care, they don't care what they lose, just as long as they hold on to their attachment for wealth and success, even if it costs them their very life.
And an open hand can go in, but a closed hand cannot come out. And it's only, it's only the promises of God that we should hold on to so tightly. Only the promises of God that we should never let go of. The same tenacity that that monkey holds onto the, the fruit or the nuts inside of the coconut, or whatever bait is placed in there, that's, that's how we are to hold on to the promises of God. We don't let go of His promises. But we do the opposite. We, we hold on to our desires and our fancies and our riches. We hold on to it. At the expense of our relationship with the Lord. First Timothy 6, verse 9 through 11. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. They've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. That was the King James. Now I'm going to read the New King James, which is up there. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. That's a, a word, a strong word from the Lord this morning. Matthew 16, 25-27 says this, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. For whoever desires to save his life, if your desire in this world is to save your life, and it's to do all the things that you desire to do, and to have all the things that you desire to have, if that's your desire to save your life in this world, to have a great life on earth, if that is your desire, and that's where you put your focus and your efforts and your attention and your power and your strength, the Bible says you will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is, this is perfect for the rich young ruler. He would have lost his life because his life was attached to his possessions. So in Jesus saying, sell all that you have, he would have lost his life. But he would have attained Jesus. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And that's a question that Jesus puts forth to you and to me. What profit is it? For a man, if he gains the whole world, if you live to, to 110 and you're strong and you're healthy and you have a, a great family and you have homes and vacation homes and cars and boats and planes, 
and you have everything that you desire for 110 years a great life but die and go to hell for all eternity then what did you gain? nothing nothing this young man was so close he was searching. It's, a, it's a interesting, such an interesting um, story and such an interesting truth. This young man was so close, I believe. He was searching, as many people are in the world today, searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for value, searching for true love. Now, he's, he's searching because nothing that he currently has has been able to satisfy. Nothing that he has, and he has a lot, but nothing that he has currently has been able to satisfy him. Nothing that money can buy has been able to satisfy him. All of the gifts that he's purchased has been temporary. And now he divinely bumps into the gift of gifts. The gift of eternal life and, and, and spiritual treasure he bumps into. He didn't bump into Confucius or Muhammad or Buddha. He didn't bump into some new age guru. But he actually bumped into Jesus. He's, he's so close. He's, he's right there. He, he bumps into the truth. He bumps into Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who came to prepare a way for him to get to the Father. And he missed it. He was this close. He was that close. And he, he missed it. Man, so close, but he missed it. And he missed it primarily for one reason. And it's the same reason why people in 2021 miss it or miss him. He was blinded by wealth. He missed it for one reason. It is, it is clear from this passage. He missed it for one reason. He was blinded by his wealth. Let me show you real quick the, the deception of wealth. Interestingly, this young man, he's, he's searching again because deep in his heart, he knows that there has been nothing that he has attained so far, nothing that he can buy that's been able to satisfy him, right? He knows this. That's why he's still searching. He knows this. He knows that he's, he's rich, he's wealthy, he has a lot, but he's still not satisfied, right? He knows this. Now, here's, here's the deception. He, he comes to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, he says, listen, 
sell all that you have. Sell what you have and then come and follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. But this man, he, he trusts in his wealth. He, he believes in it. Even though, even though he, he knows that the past 30 years, 40 years, he hasn't been satisfied by it. He, he knows that truth. But he still trusts in his wealth that when Jesus says, sell it and come and follow me, he can't. The reason why he can't is because maybe, maybe tomorrow, maybe in the future, I'll be satisfied by this stuff. It has a track record of not being able to satisfy me, but let me just give it a little more time. I know it hasn't satisfied me yet, but I think maybe it still can. The deception of wealth. He knows it hasn't satisfied, so he's searching. And Jesus says, hey, hey, sell that, follow me, and man, treasure in heaven. And he says, nah, I can't, nah, just, just, mm-mm, sorry, can't do it. Fact. The rich young ruler died. This is a fact. The rich young ruler died, and he was never satisfied by his riches. It never satisfied him. Didn't satisfy him on this day. And on the day he died, it still never satisfied him. Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, identifies the man who approached Jesus as, as young. That's how we know that he's, he's young. Matthew 19 and verse 20, Matthew's Gospel says that he was, he was young. And, and Luke calls him a, a ruler in Luke chapter 18 and verse 18. Hence the common name of the story, the rich young ruler. So, so the Gospels together tell us that he was, he was young um, and that he was rich and that he was a ruler. So then he, he was not only a, a, a rich young man, again, but the Bible makes the effort to include that he also was a, a ruler. He was a ruler. So he would have had authority. And, and he was spiritual. He, he would have probably have been a ruler in the temple. So he was well-known, he was popular, uh, he was respected, and he was rich. And if he was alive today, he'd probably have lived in Northern Virginia or somewhere in the DMV. He was, he was very well put together. Probably a, um, the, a dream for many women. He's, he's rich, he's wealthy, he has authority, well put together, and he's spiritual. But he's lacking something. He was at the right place, at the right time, with the right person. Right place, right time, right person, and he almost asks the right question. Uh, a better question I believe that he could have asked was, was how can I be saved? But I'm not going to get caught up on, on the question. 
Because in, um, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30, the story of the Philippian jailer, he actually asked exactly the same question that the rich young ruler asked. The same question. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because sometimes people get, get caught up on, on the question that he asked. Man, man he, he didn't ask, ask the perfect question. I, I mean, maybe he could have asked a better question. But what I'm saying is, Acts 16.30, the Philippian jailer asked the same question. What must I do to be saved? And Paul's response was again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So I'm not caught up on the, on the structure of the question, but I am intrigued by the, the presenting of that specific question. And, and here, here is why. Verse 17, this is what the young man said. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That may not mean anything to you right now, but I want you to understand that no one who heard Jesus teach in Galilee had ever asked him a question of such magnitude. The Philippian jailer that I'm talking about, that's, that's in the book of Acts, right? This is before that, right? There is, there is no one that heard Jesus teach that actually asked a question of such great magnitude. This man had, had, had some, some kind of understanding where, where he comes, comes to Jesus and he says to him, before before he's, he's uh, died and rose again. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And no one who heard Jesus teach in Galilee asked the question again of such great magnitude. Not even Jesus' own disciples. And right here at, at this moment of time, finally Jesus, he's asked the essential question capable of, of divulging the, the meaning of his entire ministry. And this, this man, this rich young ruler, he asks the essential question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Such an amazing question. So, I, so I'm amazed by that. And then verse 18 and 19, ironically, Jesus withholds the anticipated answer. He he withholds, and, and I don't know why, but perhaps Jesus senses that the question of the man's lips is not the question of his heart. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Perhaps this response was given because the fact that Jesus has, he sought at this time to, to veil his messianic Identity. Verse 19, 20 and 21, You know the commandments, Jesus says to him. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother, 
And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up your cross and follow me. This man has a remarkable moral record. And I believe him. I believe that this man kept all the commandments that Jesus mentioned. I, I believe it. I believe he had a remarkable moral record. And I believe that the commandments that Jesus mentioned to him, that he kept them. How did, how did Jesus respond to the young man's claims? He responded, the Bible says he looked at him and loved him. That was his response. Jesus did not look at hypocrisy with love. He never did that. Those that were hypocrites, he called them out right away, corrected them, rebuked them. This man, he doesn't correct him here, but he looks at him and, and, he, and he loves him. So, so Jesus is not being deceived by, by the rich man. He sees inside of him, he knows him, and he loves him. And there also must have been something admirable in, in, in the man, for no one else in the gospel does Mark say that Jesus loved him. Mark's gospel. Mark doesn't say anywhere else to another person and Jesus loved him. So, again, this is a, a, a special, um, just a special story. And, and, and again, this man was so close. Jesus loved him. If you, if you also notice here, as I was looking at this, you'll notice that Jesus commands the man not to defraud the poor. And we know that this specific commandment is not found in the Ten Commandments. But, but Jesus, I believe, may have added it because of its relevance to the rich man. We know that wealth is, is often gained at the expense of the poor. So perhaps Jesus is, is including this because, yes, he's kept the, the, the five or six, that Jesus, the five that Jesus mentioned. But he says, how about defrauding the poor? And he brings that up. The Gospel according to Mark by Edwards J.R. says this, The expressed emphasis on both God's goodness and commandments in Jesus' response to the man suggests that despite his moral zeal, or perhaps because of it, something is lacking in his relationship with God. If no one is good except God alone, then the man still lacks something before God. Even if he keeps all the commandments, Jesus' unexpected counter-question intends to move the man beyond confidence in his moral rectitude to the ultimate purpose of his life, which is to know God. 
this young ruler, he, he came running. Bible highlights these verbs for us. He, he, he came running. There was a sense of, of excitement and, and urgency. People usually ran in the Bible when they saw a loved one. And this man, he, he comes running to him. And then he, he knelt before him, uh, a sign of humble submission. This is also the, the posture of petition. And then he, he asked. He shows humility, placing himself under his authority, recognizing that Jesus had more authority than he did, and believes that Jesus had the answer to his question. He runs to him, he kneels before him, and he asks him. He did all the right things, it seems like, from the exterior. But Jesus knew the depths of the heart. This young man, perhaps he was saying, tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. I'll make it happen. I can make it happen. I can do this in my own strength. Simply put, perhaps here is a man that wants to just add Jesus to his life. And that may sound good, but Jesus doesn't want to be added to your life. Jesus does not want to just be added to your life. In fact, he, he cannot be added to your life. He wants to become your life. Not just a, a, a section or a part of your life. No, he wants the whole thing. So this man, he's got, he's got prestige. He's got popularity. He's, he's somewhat, somewhat spiritual. Got wealth, riches. And he says, let me get some, some Jesus. And Jesus says, no, nah, no, nah, it doesn't work like that. You can't add me to your life. I want everything. Everything. So, so Jesus is really, you know, he's really not just supposed to be, you know, first in our life. But he's supposed to be first, second, third, fourth, fifth. He, he wants it all. Because sometimes, even, even when we say, you know, he's, he's first, and I've said it before, right? But it's like, you know, he's, he's there, he's, he's in that section, right? And, and these sections are mine. He wants to be all of it. Everything. Matthew 6 33 says, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And then I believe it's in, it's in Luke where it just says, seek the kingdom of God. Luke's gospel just says, seek the kingdom of God. He wants to be first, yes, but he also wants to be everything. First, second, third, fourth, all of it is what he wants. Side note, also, I believe the, the rich young ruler, he broke the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. His wealth was his God. 
So yeah, there were many commandments that he kept, but I believe he, he broke that one. You shall have no other gods before me, and his wealth was clearly his God. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus was, was saying to this man that he loved, you must let go of what is in your hand. You must let go of what is in your hand, and only then will you have treasure in heaven. Only then will you have eternal life. The monkey cannot let go of what's in its hand, and it costs him his life. He dies because of it. And Jesus is saying, you, you must let go of what you trust in, of what you hold on to so, so tightly. You must let go. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And he cannot let go. He cannot open his hand. Jesus is saying, trust me. But that takes, that takes a lot of trust. And this, this message this morning is for you. is for you. Because we live in, in Northern Virginia. And I know the temptations here. And it's a temptation that we all face. So, so this message is, is for you specifically. I know exactly who I'm talking to this morning. And I'm talking to you. What you believe will always be manifested over what you say. What you believe will always be manifested over what you say. Christians love to talk about how they love God's word. That may be true until his word contradicts a belief system that you have. Until his word contradicts a belief system that you are convinced by. I could, I could probably say, sadly... That most American Christians are governed, are, are not governed by God's word. I could, I could probably say that most, sadly. That most are not governed by God's word. The word of God is an addition to whatever convictions they, they personally have. Whatever convictions they were, they were raised with. Whatever convictions life experience brings and, and celebrities bring forth. And, and actors and musicians and athletes and talk show hosts and social media personnel, whatever convictions that, that those people present to you, usually those become your convictions more than God's Word does. Those are the things I want you to understand, church, we're human. I want you to understand that those are the things that naturally disciple you. It's important that you understand that. If you just say to me, man, I'm, I'm just neutral. I'm neutral. Right? Like, like, I'm not discipled by anyone or anything. I'm just neutral. Then by default, you are being discipled by the world. 
Because, because they are the majority and they are the ones that's every single day presenting things before us. Every single day. And you can't get away from it. So if you just say, man, I'm, I'm just neutral. You are being currently discipled by the world, by actors and musicians and athletes, social media personnel, talk show hosts. They're discipling you. They're, they're, they're changing the way that you think because they are the majority, because they're popular, because they have influence. And, and Christians are following them. In, in, in order for you to be discipled by God's word, you need to be intentional about it. And if you're not being intentional about it, then you are being discipled by the world. That is a fact for every single person in this room. If you're not intentionally being discipled by the word of God and placing yourself under it and saying, I don't care what I think, I don't care what, what so-and-so says and what they say, I don't care how many times I hear it, if it's against God's word, I reject it. It takes a, a rejection of the world's views and a rejection of your own personal opinions and feelings. And it takes an intentionality about coming under the authority of God's word and saying, here I am, Lord. The rich young ruler, he, he thought that he wanted to follow Jesus. He, he thought he did. He thought he wanted to follow Jesus. He, he thought he wanted eternal life. He, he said that he wanted eternal life, but not at the expense of his great possessions. No, 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 don't, don't, don't touch my, my money, Jesus. Okay, that, that's, that's off limits. Anything else, we're good. But don't touch that area of my life. Now you're crossing the line. He's saying to Jesus, man, you know, I was talking to you about my spiritual life. I was talking to you about, about eternity and my spiritual life has absolutely nothing to do with my money. My, my spiritual life has nothing to do with my money, is what he's saying to Jesus. I came to you asking about my spiritual life. Why, why are we talking about money? Really? Your spiritual life has, has, has nothing to do with, with your money? Do you believe that? Jesus just proved to you, I believe, and to his disciples, that there is a connection between the two. Salvation was not for sale here. Understand that clearly. Salvation was not for sale. The problem was that his possessions stopped him from picking up his own cross and following Jesus. He could not receive eternal life because he did not want to take up his cross. And no one receives eternal life without picking up their cross and following Jesus. No one. No one receives eternal life without taking up their cross and following him. And Jesus is showing us here 
clearly. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6 and verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In verse 21, Jesus offers himself as a substitute for the man's possessions. And the man says no. He, he, he sorrowfully says no. Jesus offers himself as a substitute for the man's possessions. And the man says, nah, I'm cool, I'm good. Let's continue here. The last part of Matthew, of Mark 10. Then Jesus looked around. Mark 10, 23. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to him, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Let me just pause here just, just for, for a moment. This is what Jesus actually, actually said. The, the um, camel going through the eye of a needle. Um, you know, some people have said, you know, it actually means, you know, a, a rope going through the eye of a needle. Um, a rope going through the eye of a needle is just as difficult as a camel going through the eye of a needle, so it really makes no difference there. And then also, um, you know, some, some have said, you know, it was a, a place in Israel, you know, there was a gate where um, basically the camel had to kind of get down on its knees and kind of wiggle through. And uh, yeah, none of that is, is, is so. That, that, that gate became um, a thing, I believe, in the ninth um, century AD. Um, so, so uh, um, I mean, 90, 90? Eighty or something. Anyway, way past when this was written. So, none of that is is a thing. Jesus literally said, and he meant it is. It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a man who trusts in his riches to enter the kingdom. He said it, and he meant it. All right. This doesn't mean something else. Verse twenty-six. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, "Who then can be saved?" But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible. It's actually a good thing. But not with God. For with God all things are 
possible. Amen? Salvation is only of God. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. I want to make this very clear. Money is not evil. I want to make this very clear this morning that money is not evil. Money is not evil. Money is not evil. Money is not evil. Money is not evil and money has, has never been evil. Money has, has never been the, the root of all evil. Many people say, you know, money is the root of all evil. It's not, and it never has been the root of all evil. God is not against money, and God is not against wealth. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10 again says, For the love of money. For the love of money. And Jesus pointed out here in, in Mark as well, the, the man who trusts in his riches. Right? The one who trusts in their riches and the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. This part right here. Speaking about wealth and spirituality and the connection. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. People stray from the faith. People stray from the faith. Many verses Passages talk about it. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, sadly, for which some have even strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Wow. Strayed from the faith. The love of money not only has the power to cause some to, to stray from the faith, but I also believe, again, that the love of money also has the power to keep some from coming to the faith. And I will add another one that some people in the room will identify with. The love of money also has the power to stop believers from growing fully in their faith and becoming all that God wants them to become. There's a connection between money and spirituality. Some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, in their pursuit for wealth. God is not against wealth. Abraham was very wealthy. Job was very wealthy. Joseph was very wealthy. As he became the, the second wealthiest man in the land during his time, David was very wealthy. And as we know, Solomon was very, 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 very wealthy. You are wealthy. God has blessed you. Amen. God has blessed you. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing at all to be ashamed of. But don't let money become your master. And I'm warning you because it's very easy. It can happen very quickly. And it is a temptation that you will have to struggle with for most of your days. 
It's something that, that you will struggle with. Because this is also one of the things that the world is pushing on us. And again, where we're at, Northern Virginia, our, our culture is just like, go, 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 go. I want to in, invite you all, the, the end of the month, December 26th, I want to invite you all to give a special offering, to give a sacrificial offering, sacrificial end of year offering. I want to invite you to do that. I, I want to ask you to, to do two things. Number one, I want you to pray about it. I, I want you to literally pray. I don't want you to just say, hey, I'm going to give. I don't want you to give like that. I want you to pray. I want you to pray first. To really pray. I'm serious. I want you to pray first. Don't just write a check. I want you to pray. Pray, and I want you to ask the Lord what you should give. And then number two, I want you to be obedient. Amen. Amen? I'm not sharing this, this message today because, because we need money. That's not, that's not the, the purpose. You know, I can, I can raise money for our church. I did it before the church started. And I can go to churches and I can present vision um, and I can get churches to support for one to three years. I can go before families as I did and, and ask families to, to support our church and, and they will. Um, but here's the thing. You who eat of the fruit here should be the most faithful givers. I shouldn't have to go outside of here. Um, and, and I do have to go outside because it takes, takes time before you know, a church is self-sustaining. I understand that. We're not in a place where we can fully support ourselves. But, but everyone that eats of the fruit here should be giving here. Amen. 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 There are folks that, that give to us faithfully who don't eat of the fruit here. So, so, so I'm, I'm calling you all um, to give. And I do that unapologetically. Right? So, so, um, so that's, what, that's what God is, uh, is calling us to do. In conclusion, as we conclude here, how profoundly ironic is the kingdom of God? The, the children in the story right before this one, right before the one that we read, Jesus blesses the children, right? So the children who possess nothing are not told that they, that they lack anything, but rather that the kingdom of God is theirs. But yet this rich young man who possesses everything still lacks something. And only when he sells all that he has, only when he becomes like a vulnerable child, will he truly possess everything. True obedience to the law can be rendered only in discipleship to Jesus. And unless obedience to the law leads to discipleship with Jesus, it is incomplete and futile. In following Jesus, every man and woman will have treasure in heaven. Amen? 
And finally, at the end of the story, Mark, the writer here, he shifts his focus from the rich man to the disciples, which indicates that, that the wealth and possessions that prevented one man from following Jesus are also matters of concern for those that are already following him. Selah. Let's stand up, please. Bow your heads, please. And think about the word of God that you heard this morning. And what the word of God spoke to you this morning. My prayer was that you would not leave this place in the same way that you came. And I pray that that is true. Jesus loves you. He looks at you. He sees you. He knows you. And He loves you. And He's calling you to come and follow Him. He's calling you. But what He's saying to you this morning... He's saying, I want to be everything. I have to be everything. I have to be everything. You're going to be challenged by the world. You're going to be challenged by so many voices are going to speak to you. But what I want you to do is I want you to go to my word. I want you to take heed to my voice. I want you to be obedient to what I say to you and then you will have treasure in heaven. And if you reject my word, if you walk away from my, from my word because you have confidence in your own ways and your own plans, then you forfeit treasure in heaven. Jesus is very clear. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man but, but its end leads to death. This man, he went with the way that seemed right to him. To do what Jesus said was, was too painful and it was too costly. And he said, I don't want to go through the pain. I don't want to go through the hurt. So I'm going to do my own thing. And Jesus, interestingly, he let him go. He still loved him. His love for him didn't change. Because the love of God is not based on us, but it's based on him. It's based on who he is. And Jesus loved a man that walked away from him. And he will love you, whether you follow him or not. But you will also pay the price. You will pay the price. And that's dependent on whether you follow him or not. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you came for the rich young ruler. That you came for us. 
that you came to earth just like you had the conversation with him you're having conversations with us this morning you're speaking to us this morning via the Holy Spirit and Lord we want to take heed to your voice and Father we want to do all that you say and especially Lord we don't want to fall into the trap Lord of allowing money and wealth and success to become our God we reject that Lord we thank you for preparing the way for us we thank you for dying for us sinners Thank you that we could not save or rescue ourselves. But you came, you showed us how to walk on this earth. And you went to the cross not for yourself, but for me and for us. You showed us that you were the son of God. Because death had no power over you, you rose from the dead. Resurrection power. And you say to us that if we trust in you, if we follow you, that we too will live again as we put our hope and trust in you. We thank you, Jesus. And I invite you this morning, if you have not put your trust in him, to call upon him this morning. And he will save you as you call upon him. As you call upon him and you surrender to him. You say, I can't do this on my own. I don't want to do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. I surrender all. So Lord come and be Lord of my life and him being Lord of your life means that you are his servant it means that he's God he's king and you're subject to him we thank you Father we'd love to hear from you visit us at thewaycitychurch.org